Romans 12:18 it says do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So welcome today. We're excited you are here. Let me catch you up to what we've been talking about because it's important in a world that's filled with conflict and it seems like people thrive on being in conflict and that's all we hear about is things that are polarizing people from one perspective or another. How do we live in peace? And so when it hits you personally, we've been really looking at things like how do we overlook an offense getting a godly perspective of what scenario we're in. When we're sensing tension, when we're sensing a conflict, asking, really, God, help me understand from your perspective what is happening and whether I can overlook this or whether I need to confront this, which we'll talk about today. And then we looked as well last week about owning our part of the conflict before really we take steps for resolution. We're 100% responsible for our 2%. You know, just realizing we're involved in some way. If there's conflict, then it's two-way. We own some of that percentage, and we're 100% responsible for what's in the circle, us, all the arrows pointing in. And now today we're going to look at a tough question. How can I help others own their contribution to this conflict. This is the, really uncomfortable, right? This is one of the most uncomfortable elements, but yet glorifying God again moments that could happen in conflict when we're trying to be a peacemaker and live in peace with everyone. Uh, we volunteer, or really unintentionally, we build tensions to the exploding point. We've been looking at this graph from the book uh, Ken Sandy wrote called Resolving Everyday Conflict. Really, we got the skeleton of this series from this book. And if you look at this graph called the slippery slope, um, it'll show you some of the different elements of our tendencies when we approach conflict. And one of the things we tend to do is escape, right? We'll deny that there's actual conflict. We'll, we'll know that it's there. We know we have a part of it. But instead of approaching it, we'll avoid. We'll fly away. This is called peace faking, right? And we'll end up in a, in a place, really, that's unhealthy because eventually we're kind of collecting these tensions and we're keeping records of wrongs. And we're going to unload on somebody. Eventually, that person that we're in conflict with is going to say the thing that lights the fuse, and it's like, kaboom, right? Then we find ourselves over here in the attack zone. We're just going at someone for all the things that they've done going years back, right? And it just becomes incredibly unhealthy. What we're trying to do is build this positive response, this peacemaking response to conflict by going higher, by getting real, dealing with our 2% or whatever percent is our own, and owning that. And today, learning how to gently engage to where we don't slip down this slope. Because if we forgo the necessary conversation we need to have with the other party in conflict, then we are going to slip down one of those sides of the slope. We're going to get too aggressive. We're going to get to that spot where it's an argument instead of a conversation. And God wants us to live in peace with everyone. So how do we get there? How do we do this? We can't accept the lie of, of silence 
of flight. We can't accept this lie that silence is peace. Like that's just being transparent. My number one mistake. I'll think, okay, space is good. Silence is good. I guess everything's fine. Really? Right? It's like, what happens if you plug that Instapot in and you leave it plugged for like a long time? That thing will explode in the kitchen, right? That'd be bad. So we don't want that to happen. So, so silence doesn't mean peace. It means peace faking most often. Uh, you can give space, but then you must approach still. And then we also look at the reality of, of how we take shots at people because we're, we're attacking we haven't had a conversation about the conflict. We're just throwing jabs when we can find them at the person we're in conflict with. It's really interesting when you look at, at some of this. We were, I was listening to a podcast. It's, that's what I do when I'm weeding or planting or mowing. If I'm outside, I've got my headphones in and I'm listening to a podcast while I'm taking care of the lawn and stuff. And so I was listening to this podcast about the communication and this gal was talking about this thing we all do with people we feel tension with. We do this thing called microaggressions that you can see on your face. And she was talking about in communication, people feel those. Like if we've got an issue with someone and they talk, then our demeanor changes. We're like, oh, really? I don't know, maybe it's not that obvious, but she said you can even be on the phone with somebody if you want to tell who you have issues with, like in your, org it was speaking to organizational leadership, but it was like, if you, you could tell who you are giving microaggressions, physically, physical demeanor with, by recording yourself when you're on the phone with them. Like, it's that, like, you'll even do it when they're not there. It's like your face get you just get... Mm. And so often in employment circles, we do that to employees, and we got to figure out, how do I not do that? How do I now, like, ah, relax, don't show them I'm mad. But then if we sense that microaggression, that means we need to deal with the conflict, right? That means there's a conversation that needs to happen. And, and it's even in that little tiny moment of aggression that we should sense, I'm going to this side, I'm slipping down the slope, I need to course correct, God Help me see what's happening here. Help me own my percentage. And let's go after this. Because the Bible clearly says there are times when we have to address others. Galatians 6.1, really today's main emphasis verse says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Really simple. Our big idea today is there are times we must engage. There are times we have to engage. And when we do it, do it gently, humbly, as that passage just encouraged. Matthew 18 is a good verse. Uh, really, Matthew 18, the whole section, is a lesson on leadership in conflict. Uh, and it starts off in verse 15. If another believer sins against you... Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Right? We can see further clarity as James writes in James 5.20. It says, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death 
and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. In other words, this person's in conflict not just with you, with many people. So it's time to have that conversation for a lot of people's sake, like the community's sake. Right up front, it must be clarified that there are offenses that you obviously aren't going to personally one-on-one go after. Like if somebody's abusing you, if, if somebody has hurt you physically, sexually, just different things that would happen in conflict that are real hurts, that were real conflicts, you, you don't start that one one-on-one. That would not be wise. So you got to use wisdom. But just the reality is a peacemaker is not going to just stay silent. We're going to approach and hopefully get somebody to confess what is going on by confronting them. A peacemaker is also, though, not for hire as a private offense police. What am I talking about? Well, sometimes you can like, I don't mind conflict. I'll tell them there's a problem. (laughs) It's like, you need me to talk to somebody? I'll talk to somebody for you, you know. My name is Vinny. I'm the conflict boy, you know. And yet, I'll bust a kneecap or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if I'm good at that accent. But anyway, moving on. Uh, the reality is sometimes we're tempted, though. It's like, I see that there's something going on. I'll, I'll help you. Hey, bro. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. It, we need to be encouraging one another to have the strength from God, the Holy Spirit, to approach conflict. On the other hand... Uh, many of us feel reluctant to confront others because of all kinds of circumstances in our life. And, and we just need to trust God personally to lead us in. So it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that makes us reluctant is Scripture. Matthew 7.1 makes us reluctant. Because it says there, do not judge others and you will not be judged. We feel like confrontation is judgment. They're different. But we'll use that as an excuse. We're like, well, I don't want to judge. And we'll, we'll make it spiritual, our avoidance. So we got to be careful. we got to use wisdom. And that's what we're really going to unpack here. Because we naturally can see in Scripture that confronting someone is love. In fact, a quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote says, Nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. Yes, right? Not easy, but necessary. Again, if another believer sins against you, go privately Point out the offense. So how do we do this? Our first thought, take the first step. Take the first step. So again, if we tend towards avoidance, we're waiting for them to take action. Although if we tend to attack, we might not be taking a step. We might be sprinting at them fist loaded, right? So we got to be careful. We just need to make the approach. Surprisingly, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to take The first step, whether we're at fault or they're at fault. Really interesting, but we're supposed to take the initiative. God expects us to be the people that would lead. When someone has something against you, God wants you to take the first step. It says in Matthew 5, 
Verse 23, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, so it's not even you have conflict with somebody, somebody has conflict with you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and reconcile to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Notice that Jesus right there, he's not limiting this command to like a situation where it's legitimate even. He just says, no, if they have something against you, it's not whether they have something legitimate against you. They, they just have some, it's perceived, then it's real to them. So figure it out. Apologize. Confess. Ask for forgiveness. We'll talk about that next week. But it's like we, we need to get to that, that moment. An obligation exists whether or not you believe the complaint is valid. We must initiate peace. God has put us in the world as peacemakers. So there are several reasons you should initiate reconciliation even if you don't think you're at fault. Most importantly, Jesus challenges us to. But you should also take the first step towards peace out of love for others. Like that love that, that you should just feel for humans, for people around you, should compel you to want to be at peace with all. But there's also personal benefit of not living in the tension of conflict. Nobody likes to live in that cloud. And if we just get used to that cloud, we don't even realize. Like, So I have a deviated septum. Sinus, right? Like, I'm prone to sinus infections. Unfortunately, I think I've passed that down to some of my kids, specifically my son. So I feel like his nose has been stuffy forever. And oftentimes, mine's stuffy forever. And I just don't even remember what it's like to breathe naturally, right? Just like a full breath in through my nose. You just get used to it. But it also means that I'm cloudy a lot, right? Don't do that with conflict. It's easy to do, though. It's easy to not confront and then just live in that cloud. God wants you to go to others when you believe their sins are too serious to overlook. It says in Luke 17, 3, watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then, if there is repentance, forgive. So God calls us to go and, and talk to others if their sins are serious, right? We're taking the first step, and, and really it's if their sins are serious. So what am I saying there? There's four real serious things, if they, and, and we're calling conflict sin in this scenario, right? There's four things. One, I need to go with the conflict when the conflict damages my relationship with someone. When this conflict is like, I can tell this relationship is going to sever if I do not Approach it. If you can't forgive an offense or overlook an offense, then that's when you need to go and begin a conversation. If it lasts, if the tension lasts for more than a short period of time, it's time to really approach that person because it's damaging your relationship. Secondly, I need to go when the conflict is hurting others. When you can see, okay, and this happens in jobs. This happens in work environments. This is hurting the entire staff. This is hurting all of our coworkers. This is hurting 
or in families. This is hurting the entire family that we're living with this conflict for year after year, generation after generation. We need to confront this. Is the behavior damaging people emotionally? If it's causing physical harm, obviously, you've got to confront it. Is this behavior going to give license to others to do harm? Right, if one person's getting away with it and now everybody else starts replicating it, I mean, this is how physical abuse is passed from generation to generation. They observe it, it's accepted, they pass it on. Not good. Not God's intent. I need to go thirdly when a conflict is hurting the offender. Like they're hurting themselves and they don't even see it. We need to go. We need to pray that God would illuminate to them this reality that they're hurting themselves. Man, maybe this is a, a, a drug habit you see them having. Maybe they're, they're drinking too much and putting others in danger. Maybe it's a relational issue in a marriage, and you're just like, I've been observing this. And, and in love, I have to tell you, you should not talk to your spouse like that. That's hurting your marriage. And, and this is tough. And, and it, these are not easy conversations. But Jesus demonstrating is demonstrating that, that we should in love go after people and allow them to, to see a greater way of living and trust that the Holy Spirit would be in the moment, right? I listened to this list of songs a while back on Spotify that will like push like songs you might like at you. And, and so I click on them and, and I'm like, no, no. And then this one comes on. Uh, I think I've referenced it in the past, but it was called uh, uh, Leave the Light On. And I start listening to these words, and it, it really, you know, sounds like my vibe of sound and stuff. So I'm listening to this, and, I, and they start singing the chorus, and it's like, if you look into the distance, there's a house upon a hill guiding like a lighthouse to a place where you'll be safe to feel a grace because we've all made mistakes if you've lost your way, I'll leave the light on. I'll leave the light on. I mean, we need to be people that would encourage others, like, I'm going to leave a light on. And if you're doing something that's hurting you, it's safe to come and work it out, with, like, to process that out with me. And that's why that song's actually about somebody who's going back into a drug habit. And they're going back into the offense of, of drugs and they don't want them to be lost to drugs and so they're saying I know you're struggling my light is on come home and what if we could be to those that are hurting themselves in conflict a light I believe that's what God put us on this planet to be is a light that should not be hidden we can leave that light on finally we need to go and approach conflict if it's significantly dishonoring God. Like is somebody really making a shameful name of the faith? We need to approach them. We're not the Christian popo, right? The Christian police. We're not busting people. That is not as Christ-like as I think you should be. You do not need a Learjet, number four, right? Uh, it's like whatever's going around on the internet. But it's like, and if we, we need relationship with them to confront them, we don't want to just blog blatantly about them without approaching them and having a conversation in biblical fashion, like we're talking in the next point. But just the reality is we do need 
to love people enough that, man, you're the very people you're trying to share your faith with, your actions are disqualifying your testimony. How can I help you grow in this area? Right? Let's just be there for them. Again, being a light. We can't forget that before we, we take the first step, we must search our hearts first, right? We must confess our stuff, and then we can approach them. Thought number two, this is how you do it. You go in person. Right? So we got to take the first step, but we got to go in person. Interesting, like you have to say that today. Right? Because this generation will go, yeah, somebody does have some issues, and I'm going to text it to them right now, <laughs> you know, emoji it. <laughs> you offended me, emoji whatever the offense was. No, we'll story it on Instagram, or we'll do whatever. Don't, that's not, like, go to the person. If you love them, go to them, and you should. You should love people. There's obvious exceptions again. You don't go in person if that person's going to harm you. Or if they've harmed you in the past and you know it would be unhealthy to be in that environment. But go and show is the principle here. Getting face to face is the best way for somebody to understand what's truly going on. When you type it all out in a message, it can be taken wrong. But when somebody sees your face, they'll realize there's no microaggressions, hopefully, right? Coming across and that you're, you're really, your intent, because hopefully you've prayed up and your intent is to like for better, to help them become better. And so you go to them and let them see the love in your face. James 1.19 says, understand this, my brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So when you do go to somebody, go with the intent to listen more than you speak. Not easy. Oftentimes when we want to confront somebody about what's going wrong, especially if we fall on the attack side, we want to unload. <laughs> Here's the list, you ready? You know, and it's like, eh, that's not going to work out as good as I think you're hoping it would. Be quick to listen. I think one way that you could do that is really go in with a solid plan, have things written down so that you don't veer from it. Uh, people slide down the slippery slo slope of emotion in a couple different ways when you finally get face-to-face -face with a person. One, you fall down the slippery slope of anger and you be, become attacking. But another way we slip down that slope is any, another emotion. It's, it's tears. What am I saying? You're hurt. I know. But what if we could really go in with the strength of the Holy Spirit and try to control our emotions? Because both anger and Hurt emotions can be manipulative in the confrontation. How many of us have blown a well-intended confrontation with too much emotion in the room, right? And then we exit the room and we're like red and our heart is just going. Tuk -tuk 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 -tuk. And we're like, I blew that opportunity. I blew it. And it's not easy. But this is why we depend on the Holy Spirit to be our guide when we're going into a conversation with somebody that is not easy. You can't do it on your own. Don't go into it alone. You have this gift as followers of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a great reason to be. Because you're always going to have conflict. And it's an opportunity 
not some obstacle. It's an opportunity for deeper relationship. Before we go, carefully plan what you're going to say. Make sure you're filled with love. And I know I've said this a few times. You're going, Why? what's this love junk? I'm mad at this person. How do I? I can't even say I love them. Ephesians 4.15 says this simple instruction. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. The truth is only as effective as the love we sow it within. Planted a garden in the backyard of the house, was listening to podcasts while I was doing it, right? And when I did, I was stirring up the soil and putting compost in and putting miracle grow like right around where, you know, praying for a miracle that tomatoes would actually grow in our ground. But, you know, just like you're, you're, you're trying to help that seed have great foundation to grow. Well, that's the same with our truth you got to wrap that seed of truth and love. And if you just go in with truth, it hurts. It's going in with a bat and just going, you've been mean. You're hurting people. You're hurting yourself. That's attacking. So the way we fall in that peace zone is to go in with just this, man, I love you enough to say this to you. You should not talk to your wife like this. I heard you say, How can I help? What's going on? Like, that's way different than, dude, shut your mouth. Talk to your wife like that again. I'm going to punch you in the nose, right? It just doesn't work the same. So we've got to be filled with love. Thought three, keep the circle small. Now, this is countercultural. We live in a world right now that is all about blowing things up. Matthew 18, 16 says... If you are unsuccessful, so we've gone face-to-face, right? Now, if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you. Go back again. So that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. As Matthew 18 unrolls, you see this Heart of keeping the circle as small as possible initially. And it's truly the opposite of what's happening in the world today, in the culture today, and what we're being trained to do from social media, media period, right? Just what's happening around you. We want to build our side instantly. So I'm going to tweet about it, or I'm going to post it on social media. I'm going to try to get an army of people to agree with me before I confront Jesus knew better than that. That doesn't work. That just severs the relationship. It's over. God wants us to be in right relationship and live in peace with everyone as far as it is concerned on our power. So instead of building an army or a tribe of people that agree with our offense, we get our most confident, trusted people around us to go with us couple things happen there. One, it eases our spirit. We're able to give a second round at this and out of love again for the other person. And we're able to say, hey, you know, maybe, maybe that accountability of another person there will, will be able to call a timeout if it's needed in the room. Or maybe they'll be able to even bring to light or ask a question that illuminates that much more 
of what's going on. They can even just be a complete mediator and not in agreement with either side because they're a peacemaker. But we're supposed to go with someone else, but keeping that circle small. It benefits to have a witness. And even when Jesus sent out his followers to share their faith, he asked them to do it in twos and threes. So why not that second step of conflict? And it even goes farther. Matthew 18, 17 says, if the person still refuses to listen, so you've gone one-on-one, you're now with two or three people, if they're still refusing, then take your case to the church. Now, obviously, this is speaking of a controversy inside the church. But it says, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Not all tax collectors are corrupt, I guess is what Jesus is saying right there, right? Amen. Anyway, moving on. Um, This is speaking of conflict within a church, but the principles apply. Whatever the venue is, let's say it's at your work and you confront that employee, maybe stole your credit or your job or your sale or whatever it was, and, and you're just like, that, you know, I appreciate if you don't do that again, you know, love you, bro, whatever. And then all of a sudden they're doing it again, and now you circle back around with a couple people and still doing it, and now it's time you, you go to your boss. This has been going on. I just want to make you aware of it. If they still don't change, then whoever else is in authority, right? Treat them as somebody who's intentionally offending and hurting and figure out what that looks like in your arena, in your family, in your work, in the church. These things happen. And we want to walk these things out in a biblical fashion because if we're really trusting God, we'll work this out. Then let's walk through his steps he's given us. We want to help people avoid stepping farther into sin. And I've witnessed when the circle is made too big too early. Now, unfortunately, I've witnessed it in marriages. I've witnessed it when when marriages are struggling and, and immediately they run and tell all their family everything that is going on with the spouse even in a prayer request veil, and now you have this like dozens of people concerned for the practices of this spouse, whom they're not related to probably. And it's an offense. People are defending the one spouse and mad at the other. So that when you start trying to reconcile the relationship, this crowd you built that's offended for you never lets them back in, making Restoration, impossible. Reconciliation just falls to the ground. It's painful to watch this. It's painful to see this happen. But I've witnessed it more than once. When we make the circle too big instantly. So let's go keep the circle small. Final thought. Recognize your limits. We all have limits when it comes to conflict. And whenever you try to show someone their fault, their limits to what you can accomplish. Only God can move someone to change their behavior. And if we come to grips with that, if we come to grips with our role just being to bring something to light in love, 
and then let God work it out, something beautiful can occur. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Okay. Goes on. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. Who changed their hearts? God, right? You did not do it. And they will learn the truth. We've got to connect those two words, instruct and perhaps, when we read that passage. It's our job to come in and instruct and confront and say, I have to have this conversation with you. This is what's going on. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm feeling. I understand. I've, I've been angry about it. I confess that I've been mad at you, and I'm sorry for that. Uh, will you accept my apology? This is what I've seen. And all of a sudden, God does the rest. Now, there are some things that destroy this. And you're going to recognize if this is you the moment I say it. But when you're in a moment... Um, of sharing with somebody in your proper role is to just instruct of what's going on, to share what's going on, and trust that God will do the heart change, then you won't repeat yourself. But maybe when you get nervous or you get in a confrontation, you share, I've been offended by this, I'm sorry, but it's made me angry at you, you did this. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but I wanted to let you know. And then they're like, wow, I was totally unaware of that. Uh, man, thank you for bringing it to me. Yeah, because you did this. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I get that. Because you did this. Oh, yeah, get it. You, know, you made that. You brought, you set it out there on the table. We're looking at it. And you're like, you did this. Okay, what else? Okay, I did it. Yeah, you did this. And they're like, wait what's going on, right? We do that. We don't realize it. And we just keep repeating ourselves and repeating ourselves and repeating ourselves. So remember I said make a plan? When you're making your plan, write on the side of your note sheet about that plan, do not repeat. <laughs> if we're trusting that God will change their heart, we're going to simply bring the info open ourselves up very humbly and vulnerably, gently engaging, and allow God to do the rest. Our action point is simple. Engage gently. Right? That's our job. We're supposed to engage gently. So again, what does that look like today? We take the first step, right? We're called to initiate humble ourselves, and go. Go in person, look face to face if possible, and if there's no progress, keep the crowd small, try to lead change again, or at least communicate the details, and trust God to change the heart. We need to know our limits. Man, I'm praying. It's, this, is, this is very awkward to do. It's not easy. In fact, our adrenaline kicks in. There's all kinds of chemical things that happen when we're talking to somebody about something we're heard about. 
but I'm praying for you. Because the only one imprisoned, if you've yet to walk this part of conflict out, the only one not living in peace is most likely you. That other person doesn't probably even realize the offense and the depth of the offense they've brought into your world. Do them a favor and yourself a favor. Go gently and engage in a conversation that God can use mightily to touch someone's life. And literally it says, save them. Like, it can literally save them. Because they'll be free from the sin they're living in. I'm going to pray for you, that you'll have the courage to do that. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you share in the scripture so practically on things that we deal with every week in our life. Lord, I pray that this week as we realize tensions and conflicts in our life that we've been avoiding, that you will give us the courage to build a plan, to think through, to ask for your help and your strength and gently engage in a conversation that could very potentially bring relief to us and free others from sin they're living in that maybe they're not even aware of. I thank you for using us through this to bring peace into the world around us. And God, if there's people here this week that have yet to follow you, they've yet to step into that faith relationship with you, I pray that, Lord, they would invite you into their life today. They would choose to follow Jesus. And if that's you this week and you're like, man, I've never, I've never chosen to follow Jesus. I'm here exploring faith and and, and I do want to know what it is to, to follow him and have strength behind me when I'm having conversations like this. Simply just pray and invite Jesus into your life. Say, Jesus, come into my life. I, I want to follow you. I want to know you as the son of God. I, wanna, I want this life that is promised through you and this strength to help me in the things I need to confront in the world around me. Lord, I pray that you would help us walk alongside new faith, new followers of you. That we can help them grow in relationship with you and each other. Thank you for this opportunity to gather in Jesus' name. Amen.